Hello and welcome to In Your Nature podcast with me, Ricky Whelan. And with me, Niall Hatch. And uh, we're up early today, Ricky. We sure are. And it's, yeah, I don't know who I'd rather spend uh, the dawn with in a reed bed in Wicklow <laughs> other than yourself, Niall. Oh, I feel very much the same, Ricky. Absolutely. And it's the time of year when it's worth getting up early. Um, we should say that it's, it's dawn. Uh, and that's because we're here to do our Dawn Chorus episode and we're here at Bird Charles East Coast Nature Reserve in Newcastle, County Wicklow and I think we picked the perfect morning for this. Uh, we sure have, it's a beautiful morning, it's really mild. I'm dressed like an Inuit, there was no need, <laughs> but uh, before we get going I'll just say this series is supported by Leash of the Umesmead County Councils and the Heritage Council and is edited by Anne-Marie Kelly. So Ricky, listening around us there, the birds are already singing and it's something really magic about it. Uh, just this wave of sound washing over us, the, the, the first glimmers are lighter in the sky now, that won't be long before the sun is above the horizon and the birds are performing. They really are, so it's, it's great because I haven't heard some of the species um, that I've heard here this morning already uh, down home yet. So there's sedge wobblers singing from the, the reed bed, there's coots over in the sort of wetter parts of the reserve as well. So um, it's really, really beautiful morning to listen to them all. It is, and we were just commenting there that uh, when we were setting up the microphones, we had the torches and all this. There so many pairs of eyes in the reed bed looking back at us, it was really spooky. <laughs> no, that was really creepy. There was at least two, so I don't know if they were foxes or what they were, but uh, maybe someone from. Um, Someone could tell us, but they were basically they were, they were like uh, sort of lit up, sort of uh, a light blue kind of white light. It was weird. Yeah, it really was. So yeah, and, and uh, uh, right around us now here, I think that you know the, the the key for this, why why I like this reserve so much for the own course, is you have this mix of habitats in a very close proximity to each other. So you have the reed bed, you have the woodland around, you have the, the grass on the farmland, you have the cows right beside us. So we're maximising the species potential um, and hopefully, hopefully the microphone's picking it up and people are enjoying it as much as we are. Uh, but it really is great to hear these birds in full voice. Yeah, absolutely. And for, for full context, we're sat in the middle of the reserve on a picnic bench, sort of grinning at each other. We're very excited. <laughs> Behind us is the reed bed. In front of us is a lovely wet meadow. And then down to our sort of to our, our, our right and our left is some lovely Draws and woodland, so we really have that brilliant, brilliant mosaic. And we've got two mics that we've enough, um, we've enough equipment with us today to start a sort of a, a medium-sized radio station. <laughs> yeah, I've done, I'm quite impressed actually. As the podcast has been growing, we've been getting more and more equipment up, um, and it's really fun to do that. And I think that you know that this is honestly, Ricky, this is probably my favourite time of year because there's just something really, really special about the Don Cores. Just to say, for anybody who hasn't actually experienced it themselves, do get up some morning during the during the summer and. and listen to the birds sing there's something so magical about it there is and just like you've been already on the Don Chorus circuit uh, this week you've done a couple you've led a few walks you've got some this weekend and you, you've done the famous annual Mooney Goes Wild uh, Don Chorus on the radio last Sunday so I mean you, you should be well blooded at this point with, with the annual Don Chorus oh yeah 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 so you know, I, 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 you know it's funny I, I often think will I, will I get sick of it and I never ever do and this, I have to say this is much as I really enjoy the RT Don Chorus this is much more relaxed this is, this is there's something really quite peaceful about this I don't feel quite so strong so uh, I really am enjoying this uh, and of course the birds this is a stressful time for them too because they're not singing just for the hell of it they're not singing because they want you and I to feel good Ricky uh, they're singing because well, essentially they're, it's breeding season they're proclaiming a territory they're trying to attract a mate establish themselves here as the, as the best potential mate for any, uh, any females that might be around and raise those chicks it's a very very serious business the whole lives really boil down to this and the song is really the manifestation of that 
No, it is. And uh, I like to remind people and, and people who are new to bird song and the dawn chorus, they are often astounded by the fact that it's only the male birds that sing. So right now, uh, for the very for the most part, we're hearing male birds um, singing, and it's because the morning has now arrived, and they want to remind they want to remind the rival males that this is my territory. I survived overnight, boy. So uh, back off. And they also want to tell the females, hey, missus, uh, I'm still here. Uh, come get it, you know. So that's what they're up to. <laughs> uh, it really is a very serious business. And you mentioned uh, some of the, 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 the warblers, like the sedge warbler. They're, they're birds that have literally just migrated in from Africa. They've arrived just in recent recent weeks, even recent days. And their very first order of business is to establish that territory. And good territory is at a premium, you know, because when you look at habitat like reed beds, for example, um, there isn't a huge amount of that to go around um, where they can find suitable nesting areas, good safe areas, plenty of food for them and any chicks they're going to have. Uh, so, yeah, it really is a very, very serious business. It's a very macho posturing kind of thing, isn't it? It is. And like you said, we say we think it sounds beautiful and nice and, you know, they're, 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 they're sort of serenading us, but they're absolutely not. I mean, they're probably saying, hey, man, shag off. Like, this is my spot or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or wolf, wolf whistling to ladies going past. Like, we don't really understand bird song. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, to us, it's like beautiful music. But for, for these birds, it's, it's basically equivalent to them roaring, get off my land uh, to the neighbours. And then, hey, ladies, come over here. That's what's happening. Uh, and uh, as far as we can tell, uh, the, the birds, they really only care about the song of their own species. So we're hearing a few blackbirds around us at the moment, this lovely fluty song. And as far as we know, these male blackbirds, they only care about the other male blackbirds. If a robin is singing, as it is, or if a song thrush is singing nearby or something, blackbirds don't care about that at all. It's really only about trying to could reduce the competition from males of their own species and attract in females of their own species. We humans, we get to enjoy it because what's happened is, over millions of years of evolution, those songs from the different species have evolved so they don't clash with each other. They have their own frequency ranges. Um, I often think of it a bit like the instruments in an orchestra. You can you can pick out the different ones, sort of the ones that are sort of the lower ones, the flute section, the, the string section, all of these different things. And they all blend together to make something that's more than the sum of its parts. Absolutely, and like you say, we're kind of we're victims to what presents itself now this morning because uh, in past on course episodes we just insert the the audio, but we're here live, live. Uh, in nature, and the mist is rising off the field in front of us, and we can hear them. So we might just have a pause ourselves to have a quick listen for what's around us, and then um, flesh it out to our to our listeners, tell them what, what we're here. Really, I mean, from what I can hear around me is the the song trishes and the blackbirds are really holding court at the minute. They are, and that's what you'd expect, actually, because uh, it's really towards the start of the dawn course, the, the, the light is not long appearing in the sky, and the blackbird and the song thrush, they're the birds that have pretty much the biggest eyes we have in, a, in, in this sort of t- typical Irish uh, garden or parkland or woodland bird kind of scenario, and uh, you might think, well, why does that make a difference? Well, the birds do start to sing in a very predetermined order. The birds with the largest eyes sing first, and uh, the reason for that is the larger the eye, the larger the retina, and the larger the pupil, which means they're better at gathering light in low levels. And we know that birds aren't happy to start singing until there's enough light in the air for them to see danger coming, because when they're singing, they're giving away their location to every predator in the neighbourhood. So every fox or cat or hawk or whatever knows precisely where they are. So they won't start singing until there's enough light so they can see that danger coming, uh, and that means the birds with the biggest eyes sing earliest, and some of the birds, you know, the birds like wrens and blue tits and so on, they'll join us hopefully in a few minutes, but they haven't started yet. No, they have not quite 
quite. I, fe- I hear a few titterings, but they're definitely not in full song yet. And just saying that about predators and, and, and sort of, you know, putting yourself out there. Just this morning, driving across here, um, I seen a pine martin cross the road. And I mean, they're the sort of things that are out there waiting to sort of take any song or songbird off its perch. And, 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 and happily so. Oh yes, yes. It's a really quite a dangerous time for the birds because they're so invested in singing that they use up a huge amount of energy doing it, uh, and they have to be vigilant because it's very easy for predators to get them if they're not paying full attention. With uh, the breeding season and with the bird song, it's really survival of the fittest, and many of them don't make it. I mean, it really takes a huge physical toll on them what they're doing. They're basically spending most of their time at this time of year singing, especially in the mornings, roaring at the top of their lungs, and it does take a lot out of them. And then, of course, they're going to be mating and laying eggs and. And incubating and feeding the chicks and by the end of the summer they suddenly look a right state it's no surprise that most of our birds molt directly after that because their feathers are in bits absolutely and and to a female bird sort of looking for for a would-be suitor is she she's reminded every morning that he survived a night which is it which is which is a bit of an ask when you're a tiny bird because they can lose like you know a lot of a lot of weight or grams overnight it's amazing i do a bit of bird ringing and we talked about this before i mean a willow wobbler arrives in ireland about nine grams he's full of insects after sort of staging his way up in it but overnight on a cold evening in in in, in east wicklow he could lose three or four grams and that's nearly half or more than half his body weight it really is remarkable and then he has to start singing in the morning and then after that his next task is to put that weight back on as fast as he can because if he doesn't manage that over the course of the day he won't survive the second night and the only way he can do that is by eating enough insects all that fat he has to put back on comes from the insects and so it's a stressful time if they don't uh, perform well in the morning they won't get a mate and then if they don't feed quickly enough they will die and if, you know it's, it looks like it's a nice clear morning it's perfect for dawn chorus but at this time of year in County Wicklow you could not guarantee that the, the sun will be shining it could be pouring rain if that goes on for too long those birds won't survive absolutely and then and the second box he needs to tick is he needs to show the female that he can hold a big enough territory to basically provide a, a nesting site for her and, and her clutch and then feed their chicks when they do come to, to hatch. That's right, absolutely. And he's sending all this information in the song. So she'll be impressed by the male, who I suppose, for, for want of a better term, can waste the better part of his morning singing. Because when he's singing, it's a clear signal to her and also to rival males that he's strong and fit and healthy, that his needs are met. Um, he's not frantically going off to try and find food. He can devote time to singing because he has enough calories and that's proof that well first of all his territory holds enough food for him to be able to survive there's a surplus there that he'd be a good provider for her and any chicks that they would have together the territory will work well the other thing too is he must be made of genetically strong stuff to be able to do this especially for some of the migrant birds that have just arrived from africa they've gone and undergone the rigors of migration if they can start singing straight away early in the season it's a sign to that female that you know i'm i'm the best of the best i can fly i can fly thousands of kilometers back from africa and i can get straight into the business of singing and defending this territory and I'll make a great father provider for you but also any chicks that we have together will inherit those genes so your offspring are going to be able to going to be able to do the same as me and it's actually it's what what's um, in ornithological terms is called the sexy son hypothesis so the females um, it seems they'll be impressed by the males who are most the most macho because down the line their own male offspring their sons will hopefully inherit their father's machismo and will go on to pass on their mother's genes down to the next generation it's really cool yeah like really cool twisted and cool and the last thing so I suppose what the males have now demonstrated we've talked about is they've got a nice house 
um, and a good job, a good steady job. So uh, to the females out there going, right, okay, this guy could be the, the sort of Latario for me. But the third and most important thing probably is he needs to show a bit of charisma, a bit of, you know, a bit of something else, a bit of je ne sais quoi. And that they demonstrate through their repertoire of, of calls and songs and, uh, and all those sort of things. So that's important to some species. Oh, it is, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, there's more um, work being done now on the amount of mimicry that you hear in bird song. So um, the song thrushes singing around us and song thrushes will do mimicry. There's one here at the East Coast Nature Reserve I heard does a perfect imitation of a curly, for example. You get birds like uh, like white throats and they, they, they do an enormous repertoire of different species when, when they're singing. That's a sign to the females that they have a few years under the belt. They have a lot of experience and they can prove it. So they're able to show, look, I'm, I'm a survivor. Um, I can look after myself. I have good genes again. That's what's happening there. And with many of the birds, the, the older they, the, they live, uh, the, the more competent they become as singers. Because the birds we're hearing around us now, the, the, the passerines, they're birds that have to learn their songs. They don't innately know them. So uh, we know with, with many, many birds, when they're chicks in the nest, between the ages roughly between 8 and 10 days, they have to learn that song from their fathers. And that's the period of time when the male offspring learn which song to sing, and then they spend several weeks or even months practicing that to get it just right. And it's when the female chicks learn what to listen out for in a potential mate in the future. So that's one of the reasons why when, when chicks you know, sometimes are hand-reared by people and, and are released, they may, they may be fit and healthy, but the fact is they very often never go on to nest themselves or to breed successfully or find a mate because they just don't know either what sing, song to sing if they're a male or what song to listen for if they're a female. It's amazing and like it's so important the, the bird's brain and canary is a good example and it's well studied the amount of neurons multiplies in their brain their brain grows come in the approach to breeding season so they can store those calls and, and that repertoire of notes they need to impress the females. Uh, it's remarkable and there's more neurological studies going on all the time into birds' brains you know they, they, you, you people just talk about bird being bird brain because as, as a synonym for being stupid whereas in fact they have a much higher density of neurons in their brains than we, we mammals do so it's actually quite remarkable what they can pack into those tiny little heads of theirs and the thing is well when the birds are singing too they, they do it in a really remarkable way their vocal apparatus is completely different to ours so when I'm speaking here now I'm using my larynx my voice box and in, in very crude basic terms essentially uh, when, when we mammals make sound we have a pair of vibrating strings a bit like the strings on a guitar or a violin and they vibrate uh, at, and then what happens is our uh, chest cavity and our, our skull and all that they project the sound out and amplify it. Um, but there's a lot of moving parts there and that's why if we talk too long or too loud or shout our voice goes hoarse. We're literally wearing those parts out uh, and they have to recover. Um, for these birds they're able to, to sustain a very high volume and much more constant noise for a lot longer than we humans are. And that's because they have a completely different vocal apparatus. They have a thing called a syrinx or a syrinx uh, and it really, again in quite crude terms, it's like um, an inverted Y shape kind of pair of organ pipes uh, and the walls of those pipes they, they can they can contract them or expand them at will and that's what controls the pitch of the song but there's far fewer moving parts there than there are in, in a mammal's vocal apparatus so they can sing for a lot longer and also all that has to happen for them to sing is air just has to be moving through those pipes it doesn't matter whether it's going in or going out so when I'm talking I have to breathe out when I'm speaking and then I have to pause <gasps> breathe back in to be able to get more uh, air into my lungs and breathe back out the birds don't have to do that they can sing whether the air is going in or going out which is why a bird like a skylark when it's singing it sounds like it's singing for minutes on end without pausing for breath in fact it's breathing the whole time it's just we can't tell because it doesn't matter whether the air is going in or out 
Yeah, no, it does. And like, I mean, the age-old sort of argument, the size matters and all that. But with birds, it doesn't really. I mean, some of our smallest birds can really, really amplify the sound. They can. A very good example of that is right behind us. There's a wren singing in these brambles now. So um, it's, it's really quite impressive. Ireland's the second smallest breeding bird, tiny little thing, and yet one of the loudest bird songs that we have. It can be almost 90 decibels, which is almost ear-splitting if you're right, uh, right beside them. And I know that from some of the, the Dawn Chorus radio programs I've done in the past, one of the things you dread when you're setting up the microphones and uh, you know, all this high-tech equipment is if a wren actually decides to sing right beside the microphone because it just blows the whole thing out. <laughs> it, it just distorts and it's, 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 it's amazing how loud they are. Yeah, they are, they are. And let's look, let's, we've come all the way to uh, East Coast Nature Reserve in, in, in East Wicklow to, to listen to the Dawn Chorus. So let's stop talking us and, and, and enjoy it for a second again. have definitely joined the chorus now and I hear Dunnocks there and Robin and a few of the other smaller species which is which is which is really lovely and I'll tell you what's a it's a novelty for my dawn chorus is, is the, the the noise of lapping waves in the background yes the Irish sea there on the on the Wicklow coast those shingle beaches there's something very uh, atmospheric about that uh, and that's that's actually one of the the, the real uh, attractions I think here of the East Coast Nature Reserve you're so close to the sea uh, we may even you know, who who knows there's no guaranteeing these things you might even get things like sandwich turns calling as part of this well they're not really performance on the dawn chorus they certainly will add to it um, interesting there as well that um, other oh, chaffinch just started singing there, and um, wood pigeons started up there as well. That lovely rhythmic cooing in groups of five, where they go coo, and interestingly, the wood pigeon is one of the, the birds that doesn't learn its song from its father. It's genetically coded into its brain. It's not a passerine. It's not one of the uh, the, the official songbirds, even though they do very much sing. Uh, but um, so a wood pigeon, um, it doesn't have to learn that song. It would know it no matter how it was raised or where. If it never met another wood pigeon in its life, it would still intrinsically know what song to sing. The best example of that is probably the cuckoo, because the cuckoo never even meets its real parents, uh, and yet somehow it knows precisely which song to sing as a cuckoo. What, what you find with that, though, is the birds where the, the, the song is pre-programmed you get very little variation so birds like wood pigeons or cuckoos you get them across a huge range of Europe and into Asia no matter where you go they all pretty much sound the same they sing the same song and it's a fairly simple series of notes whereas with the birds like the blackbirds the song thrushes the robins the wrens the birds that learn their songs you have regional variations even within Ireland a little bit you get these regional dialects or accents and there's a big difference if you hear let's say a bird like a chaffinch singing here in Ireland compared to one that might be singing somewhere like Germany or Poland you can actually hear a dialect difference there that's it's amazing and I go back to the the wood pigeon there um I really like that people will will know the wood pigeon and they'll know the smaller colored dove that comes to their bird feeders in their garden and stuff in the winter but um I heard the the, the song of the colored dove being likened to a lazy united fan they just go united united 
Captain United. I think that's brilliant. That's really uh, good. Uh, it's re- and it's actually it really sort of concreted in my brain because I used to kind of still get confused because the note is generally the same, but um, the 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 wood pigeon has those kind of five syllables that you did there, and it's uh, yeah. Once you kind of compare the two, um, the United thing and the the the, the longer and it, the, the wood the wood pigeon sounds more throaty, almost sounds like a sort of smokes forty a day kind of guy. It do, you can hear it gearing itself up. You can hear it almost inflating these air sacs in its body. That's literally what it's doing. And so it's gearing up to it, and it gets it, and then it's almost like a machine. It just keeps going and going and going. And uh, and I, I suppose um, you know with with those wood, the wood pigeon and the collared dove, they're they're responsible, I think, for probably the majority of the very early season. Uh, cuckoo records that come in because if people haven't heard a cuckoo before uh, and unfortunately we're not terribly likely to hear one at the moment the East Coast Nature Reserve here there aren't too many along the Wicklow Coast unfortunately uh, but um, if, my rule of thumb is if you have to ask yourself if the bird you heard was a cuckoo or not then it wasn't a cuckoo because when you hear the real thing even if you've never heard it before there's no mistaking that two note cuckoo cuckoo like that very distinctive and not really like a pigeon at all but I can hear if you hadn't heard one before if you hear a wood pigeon or collared dove you might be thinking is that a cuckoo in the distance but when you hear the real thing there's no no mistaking it yeah no it's absolutely the truth and yeah I, I, I get that a lot and you you realise afterwards how silly you are by going geez when you hear them alongside side by side just like there was no there's no mistake in it but you know you, you're so you're so you're anticipating it you're so excited you want to hear it that sometimes your brain just says yeah cuckoo um, but it's, it's just not the case I see one of our uh, resident blackbirds has been successful <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's, uh, he's been doing the business over in the fence with a, with a female which is good for him so that's the, their generation but uh, I mean the, 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 the blackbirds can be quite early nesters too so a lot of them are already on eggs and I've even seen uh, fledged uh, blackbirds around the place yes yeah and, and you know the, the, the thing is when, when birds nest quite early like that they, they take a risk and sometimes it pays off and I think you know at the moment it's relatively mild so um, hopefully it will pay off for them if they can get some chicks out and out of the nest as, uh, you know, as quickly as possible at the start of the season, um, that's more or less their, their job done. They will go on to have a second brood, but at least that, that's kind of like an insurance policy. If they don't survive, so be it. Ultimately, all that has to happen uh, is for uh, two chicks to survive in the lives of the parents, to replace their parents in the population. And blackbirds can live for a few years, so it shows that the attrition rate is actually really high. It's quite sad to think about it. The vast majority of chicks die. They don't reach adulthood themselves. And that's the way it is. That's why, why so many of the smaller birds particularly have so many chicks. Um, because their own lifespans are short. They may not get too many um, go cracks of the whip at this. Uh, and and the, fact, the fact of it is that uh, they, uh, they have to get two at least out to survive to replace themselves in the population. So when the blackbirds nest early, it, it often will work, would work out well for them. However, there's a risk there as well. Because if you get uh, a sudden cold spell, let's say around March, you could, you could have blackbirds nesting in March, that could very easily chill the eggs or kill the chicks. And then it's back to square one. The parents probably survive but um, all of those weeks they put into building that nest and, and feeding those chicks it's all for nothing uh, so it's a bit of a gamble but uh, when it pays off it can pay off big remaining on early nesters so famously the missile thrush is an early nester mm-hmm. even earlier than that is the crossbill yep uh, early probably around the same time or between the two is the great spotted woodpecker uh, which is a recent feature in the Irish landscape uh, and then the crows uh, nest quite early as well so for those species and um, maybe uh, maybe they're not comparable but is song as important for them uh, 
it's hard to say. So, so to, a, to a degree, and when you think of the, the corvids, we tend not to think of them as having the most amazing songs. But actually, some corvids, like magpies and, and, and jays, they actually do have quite pretty songs. Surprisingly quiet, um, given the raucous reputation those birds have. Uh, so you have to be quite close to a magpie or a jay to hear it sing. But that seems to be important to them. Uh, but I think often with, with, with some of those early nesters, a lot of it comes down to sort of more physical performances too. So the raven's a great example. You see the ravens rolling in the sky and doing all these, these aerobatics and that's part of their, their breeding display uh, as well. Um, so um, it, it, it depends. Certainly with, with early nesters like, like the missile thrush, I think, I think the vocals are really important. I think you know, that's a bird you can hear singing quite early in the year. Uh, the robin is a bird that doesn't stop singing at all. You know, they sing throughout the whole year, although as you get towards the breeding season, that song speeds up and becomes jauntier and more lively. And then um, the collared dove, which you mentioned earlier, the lazy united fan, that really doesn't have any set nesting season at all. They can actually breed in any month of the year if, if the, the weather is warm enough and if there's enough food around. So you get records of them even nesting November, December, uh, which is um, you know which which is very unusual. The reason for that being, of course, the, the collared dove, it wasn't originally uh, a bird that was found here in Ireland. It's very much a bird of sort of like the Middle East kind of region where they don't have such a, a marked difference between the seasons as we do here. So it didn't evolve the same seasonal, um, you know, uh, spring, summer, autumn, winter kind of system as, as most of the birds were hearing around us at the moment. And so that the fact is that, that they can nest whenever they like. They're not so tuned into it. Whereas for um, most of our other birds, it's all controlled by breeding hormones that are triggered by the changes in the length of daylight. Um, so that's uh, that's what's going on there. Um, so yeah, it's really quite interesting to see how the different birds have different strategies. I'm glad you mentioned display there because that's a very important part of, should we say, the reproductive sort of toolkit. And mm. like for for ravens, like you say, for the likes of the harriers and the sky dance and, and all that sort of stuff. But it also brings up the fact about male plumage being much more sort of uh, lively and charismatic and colourful than the females and uh, we talk about the, the reasons for that being that the female is uh, her job is to get herself in good enough condition to produce the eggs and, 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 and often in, incubate the clutch on her own. Uh, so if she's sort of all, uh, you know, charismatic and uh, stand, standing out to predators, she's probably more more inclined to attract attention to herself and if she disappears off the nest, the chicks are doomed and if she if she, if she she draws attention to the nest, the chicks are probably doomed anyway or the eggs. So um, it's important that she's kind of dull um, and just blends in with the undergrowth. And then the male's job, because it's his job to sort of spread his genetics, he's a lot more sort of, when we talk about sort of peacocking and all that sort of stuff. A peacock is a good example of how the males are, are far better sort of plumage than the females. Oh yes and uh, something is, is very marked and you can actually often tell as a general rule of thumb um, the more different in plumage the male and the female of a species are uh, the more diverse the roles they play in the whole breeding situation. So let's take an example of a bird like a robin where the male and female are, are identical to the human eye at least. They, they, they're pretty much impossible to tell apart. Uh, and in that species, uh, the, where the female does the, the majority of the work around the nest, they're actually both very hands-on parents or wings-on parents. The male does lots of work with those chicks. He'll feed them, look after them and all of that. He'll, he'll do some of the work of the incubation. When it comes to the blackbird, where the male and female, they're noticeably different. The male being jet black, the female being dark brown. She's more camouflaged and she's the, she's the one of the pair who does the spends the time incubating. However, the male is a good provider. He defends that territory to the best of his ability. He will bring food to the female and then when the chicks leave the nest, he will usually take on the full care of the first brood while she's incubating the second lot of eggs. And then you take a bird like the mallard, you know, the, the most familiar duck that we have in Ireland, where the male and female couldn't be more different. The male's very flashy and gaudy. The female is very brown and mottled, uh, very well camouflaged. And in that species, the female does 100% of the work. The male does absolutely nothing. He can afford to be as flashy as he likes. He does 
doesn't need camouflage, uh, whereas the female it's quite different. So that's sort of a general rule of thumb in the species as well that um, where, where the males tend to have the brightest, gaudiest plumage, they often are the least vocally impressive. Uh, and often the drabber birds tend to have the best songs. Uh, a classic example of that, a bird you don't hear singing in Ireland, would be the nightingale. A lot of people would think, you know, the nightingale, what a beautiful bird it must be. It looks just like maybe like a robin someone's dropped in a bit of brown paint. Uh, not much to look at at all, but when you hear it singing, it's something quite different, really, really remarkable. It doesn't need flashy plumage because it can get all that signalling, all that uh, advertising through its song. Um, whereas, you know, um, a bird, you know, uh, when you have a bird like a, like a mallard again, the, the, the quacking noises they make is not vocally pr- impressive at all. They don't need it. It's all done on the basis of plumage uh, attractiveness. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy. They're really good. Uh, really good. Point out those characteristics. I don't. You never really think of it that way. And um, <clears throat> it's really good. We'll have. We'll stop for another pause. I hear some new new things being added to the chorus here. So we'll have another listen. new ones there definitely the chaffinch has definitely joined in and here blue tits down the down the, the hedgerow there as well yeah and that, that's what you'd expect at this time of the morning because there's quite a lot of light now and so what you're hearing is the, the, the blackbirds and the songfishes though they're still singing they're less prominent we're hearing the, the wrens now continuing quite good voice but as you said the chaffinch and the blue tit the bird, birds with smaller eyes have now come into, into the performance uh, so that's what you'd expect and that's I think what it is the real beauty of a dawn chorus it's how it evolves um, you can actually tell sort of if you hear a recording one what time of the morning it must have been by the mix of species that you hear at any one time. Yeah, no, and it's still talking about the rhythm of the day. So as we say, they come straight out to remind basically uh, would-be suitor or would-be females uh, matches that they're still, they survived the night and they're still in good shape and also let the rival males know that they're still on territory and all that sort of stuff. And then, as you say, they have to go then and recruit that energy back that they've lost overnight between uh, keeping themselves warm and, and then singing. So then they kind of go quiet, don't they, after a few hours. And um, so there's kind of a lull in the middle of the day before there's um, another burst in the evening to remind everyone of the, this sort of situation before bedtime. That's right, the, the dusk chorus. And again, it, it, it can be almost as impressive as the dawn chorus. They, they usually sing more strongly in the morning but in the evenings especially if it's a, a lovely still evening if there's good feeding conditions that day so the birds are physically in good health and are hungry and they fed well you can have a really good dusk uh, chorus performance the beauty of that is that um, you don't have to set the alarm clock so early you can get out to enjoy it I definitely would recommend that as well and essentially what they're doing is that at night they're, they're fixing their territory they're saying to their rivals we're going to bed now but this is where I live this is my land uh, and uh, you're not welcome here or if you're female you're very welcome here uh-huh. and that's what's going and then you know they're quiet over the night and then in the morning they sing again to say I've survived I'm still here I haven't died the thing is though inevitably some of them will have died and the other birds of that species they pick up on that always immediately I think there was a robin singing there last night he's not singing now he's obviously literally fallen off his perch I'm going to expand my territory in there it'll be more attractive to the ladies uh, you know it's crazy that is, and that is the case and like I mean we don't really re- or people don't realise they just look at the birds and they admire them and they think they're these lovely little cute things going around their business and but they're aggressive they're really aggressive 
Oh, they are. I mean, I, I have one of my bugbears. Is so, I think there's been some some damage over the years done by by children's books where all the woodland creatures are friends and they all want to cooperate. They all want to, ex- <laughs> to survive at the expense of everybody else. It's each bird for him or herself. That's the way it works. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're not interested in cooperating. They they want the best for them. They want their neighbours to fail if at all possible because it's more likely then that their offspring will have less competition. And that's how ruthless nature is. And of course, there's actually I think a real beauty to that because what we're hearing now in this dawn chorus, this is the culmination of millions and millions of years of uh, evolution that has produced this, these perfect performances. And we humans, because you know our ancestors, this is something that they uh, they evolved with as well. I think it speaks to us in a certain way. Not to want to get too philosophical about it or anything like that, but the fact is that we humans evolved with birdsong all around us. It, it signaled the changes in the seasons. It's it's a reason why I think I find birdsong so calming. It's almost meditative to us. Uh, but of course, the birds don't care at all what we think of their songs. They don't. They, they're not doing it for our benefit in any way. Uh, so yeah, that's the way I like to think of it. Really, it's a very aggressive thing, and sure, that, that's what nature is. Uh, absolutely, and no, sure, yeah, toot and claw and all that sort of stuff. And the, I suppose, let's speak to. I mean, the the, the dawn and the dusk chorus, the, the the bird song sort of season does fall off, doesn't it? It does. It sort of it, it it launches in quite quickly once it arrives, and then it does fall off though, sort of towards the middle and end of May. That's very much the case. Yeah. So when you get into June, it's very very different. Um, birds will still be singing, but it's not the same thing at all. It's almost a pale imitation of what it was. And then by by July, there's very little bird song going on. The reason being that for a most species at that stage they will have mated they will have had their chicks um, even if they're having a second brood which which um, many many species do robins blackbirds swallows they all have, have second broods and um, the fact is they already have their mate they have their territory everyone's pretty knackered at that stage so just get on with that with feeding the chicks we have to for the migrants particularly they have to spend time putting back on that weight getting in good condition to go and undertake that long journey uh, and so yeah there's no need for the singing anymore everyone knows where they stand uh, and uh, so it's really time then to wind it down until the following year unless you're a bird like a robin when you want to sing all year round and keep that territory they're, they're really aggressive little fellas uh, guys and gals because with that species the female sings as well uh, this time of year it's mostly the male robin that's singing but in the winter you'll hear the female singing too um, so yeah that's that's what's going on it's it's a zone course is really uh, quite a brief phenomenon yeah it, it really is it really is and if people I suppose want to learn uh, the, the bird songs I always advise to sort of learn the five or the ten most common ones first your robins your wrens your blackbirds your tits your your chaffinches and that's a really good way and I always say there's no there's no substitute than literally seeing it from the bird's mouth if you can identify the bird on the fence singing as a robin and then you can listen to its song and you see it coming from that bird's body it, it I think it sort of ingrains on you more and um, then if you're going from an app and then going out into your garden and kind of go oh well that's the that's I think a robin and that's all a robin about now but seeing uh, talking about apps when I was last on the dawn and dusk chorus uh, uh, treadmill was before COVID and I'm back doing them now but before COVID there was an app called Merlin and it wasn't super reliable then a few years ago but now I have found that it's actually quite excellent and to the point where I am complaining that it might have done me out of a job by next season Yes, Merlin Bird ID app from my, my good friends at uh, Cornell Laboratory of Ornithology uh, in, in New York um, it really is remarkable what technology can do I would definitely recommend it as an app um, it's available for free uh, and it works natively on your phone it doesn't need to actually be connected to the internet 
internet in order to work. So all the technologies there on your phone. The most impressive thing about Merlin, as, as you alluded to there, is that it learns from its mistakes. It gets better and better and better. And at the moment, uh, here in Ireland, it is remarkable how accurate it is. So it makes a few errors here and there, so you have to use a bit of common sense. I know this year we've been getting a lot of people saying they've been using Merlin and, and it's been reporting golden orioles singing in their gardens, uh, which is very, very unlikely to be the case. So we're trying to figure out what species it's confusing there. But I would say, you know, 99% accurate. It really is amazing. Yeah, no, it is. And I said I tested, I did a, a dust chorus in uh, Derryon's bog there in on the Lee Shoffley border um, the other night. And it's a bog, but it's got a nice mosaic of scrub and cutaway and all sorts. But um, I just said I, 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 I pull it out to see if it, if, it, if it works well. And it was comparing with my what my sort of guesstimates were. And um, it picked up um, white trout um, doing black cap, which I did not detect, <laughs> um, which is not unheard of with white trout, of course, they're great mimics. Um, um, but uh, what I thought was sort of ahead of us on a track was a black cap, but uh, it then sort of uh, it, 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 it turned into a white throat and I questioned it and then sure enough white throat gave a full it's full white throat repertoire so it, 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 it's clever and it's worth getting and it's free and um, yeah it's a nice it's a nice aid to learning but I would say there's no substitute in, in sort of testing yourself as well yes as you said Ricky the very very best way to learn the bird songs from yourself so that, so that you don't ultimately need the app is to see them singing and your brain does somehow make this connection I think that where the app really comes in it tells you what the species around you are and then you can help to say okay well there's, we know there's blackbird here let's try find one a pair of binoculars makes a big difference there um, good range of binoculars on sale birdwatcheron.ie uh. shameless plug uh, and uh, it uh, that, but that the, the, and, and practice makes perfect and the thing is as well because the dawn chorus it just happens for a short window each year you can get a bit rusty and you have to kind of renew your skills the following year so before I do dawn chorus walks or I, I do any of the recordings uh, I, I have to familiarise myself with the birds I'll spend a couple of mornings going out and walking and say oh yeah okay yeah yeah that's that's the white throat again I haven't heard him now for, for almost a year but now it's back in my mind again uh, and that's why something like the East Coast Nature Reserve is so good because you have all these species uh, in one location and um, you don't have to walk too far to find them and being on the coast it's often the first port to call for a lot of these migrants even some of the ones that are passing through um, uh, they will stop off and, and, and try for, for a few minutes here or a few days to see if they can find a mate uh, and even get some really nice birds here like grasshopper warblers and birds like that's one of the best locations I know for those too Deadly, yeah, and I'm doing it. Actually, it'll be this will go out the day after I do the the dawn chorus at Loch Bura, and you mentioned grasshopper wobblers there, so that's my uh, that is my uh, target bird of of that morning for myself personally. So I can't wait to hear one of those, hopefully. And that's a bird that you're far more likely to hear than to see. They're very difficult to see, and I thought that might be the classic example of a bird that does most things vocally because um, they hide in the in the undergrowth. They love to be in between gorse bushes and tucked away in brambles. They don't come to the open very much. Absolutely remarkable song sounds like a little machine it's um it's, it's like sounds like, a, like a fishing reel being let out very rapidly there's rapid rapid ticking hence the name grasshopper warbler because it sounds a bit like a like a grasshopper they can go on for minutes on end this this sound if you do manage to get a glimpse of one it's usually singing quite low down they throw their whole heads back the whole body is quivering with the effort but what's interesting as well with that um, it shows something quite interesting about bird song we're not hearing the full thing uh, when it comes to grasshopper warbler we can hear one of the notes it's making this very very high pitched ticking it's almost at the edge of human hearing but when we're recordings are analysed, they hear that there's another sound in there, this sort of upslurred kind of whistle and that it's doing at the same time because birds, um, unlike unlike us humans, they can control both sides of their, their vocal apparatus independently so they can make two notes at once, they can harmonise with themselves. And what's happening is the grasshopper warbler is not just making this reeling ticking noise, it's making a whistle it's just that whistle is beyond the range of human hearing so we can't hear it. Uh, so no doubt there's all sorts of information being conveyed to rival males and potential uh, mates uh, and we just, we just can't pick up on it at all. 
I am going to retrofit Grasshopper Wobbler as our bird of the week because we segued into it there without me having uh, <laughs> mentioned it. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's the Grasshopper Wobbler. Maybe tell us a bit more. Where where do we find them um, when they're not in Ireland? So, the, what, what they spend most of their lives in, in sub-Saharan Africa. They, 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 they're they widespread migrants. Uh, they're very hard to detect, though, in the winter because that skulking behaviour continues, but they're not singing. So, there's actually a lot still to be learned about where our Grasshopper Warblers go because they're one of the birds that's very very hard to find uh, when they arrive here in Ireland the best way to detect them is by that song and often quickly after they arrive they will start singing very occasionally what will happen is they might even chance their luck when they arrive in like a, like a well wooded or you know, you know, quite densely hedged garden so you do get a couple of reports at the start of the season of grasshopper warblers turning up in gardens um, but they tend not to stay there very long they're a bird that um, oh, just a jay going over there Oh, very nice. Yeah, very yeah. Yeah, um, nice. So um, yeah. So um, but uh, yeah. So what happens with uh, with the uh, with with the grasshopper warblers? They will. Uh, they, they, they'll they'll be singing. Usually they love gorse. They love very dense tangles of brambles, often in wetter kind of areas. And one of the best places to look for them is any kind of bog or reed bed area that's quite wet with isolated gorse bushes in the middle of it. Very often that's where your grasshopper warbler will be. Um, I remember being down here at uh, the East Coast Nature Reserve a few years back, and there's a pair of grasshopper warblers nesting um, in a gorse. Bush just along the, the, our, our boardwalk through the reed bed there. It's a very reliable spot for them. Uh, and I remember um, looking through my binoculars, I managed to see the uh, the parent coming in uh, with some food for the chick. And I looked and I realised, what on earth is that? They were both vividly yellow. They were yellow below. And I thought, the book show, the progressive order is a, it's a brownish bird with little dark streaks all over it, um, a little paler on the throat. Uh, and I look in the field guide, says, now what is this? I look in the literature, there's a very rare yellow morph, yellow um, version of grasshopper warbler. It just so happened the family that were nesting here at the reserve that year were the yellow type. Um, it's so rare, it's not even illustrated in most field guides. So I was really surprised. I learned something there. That's fantastic. And just as you were talking there, a pair of uh, long-tailed tits just flew past. It didn't call or anything. But, and I hear behind us now, I hear the sedge warbler starting up in rebed. So I hope I hope our, 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 our satellite mics are picking up those and people can hear those. They're, they're, I always associate them with grasshopper warblers as well because you get them in those similar wetland habitats and those, those scrubby edges and all that sort of stuff but they're amazing and machine like too they are yeah and uh, they, they're a little easier to see especially if they happen to be close to you in the rear bed they're, they're a bird that's not particularly shy of humans it just so happens that the places where they tend to sing in the middle of these reed beds and among the sedges and um, they can be quite far away from where humans happen to be but if you're lucky enough to have one singing quite close to you will see them doing this lovely thing where they're singing and sort of shuffling up the stems and they go up quite up near the top and you can see them quite well um, the, the sedge warbler it's um it's quite a streaky little bird. They have this, this um, they're mostly brown, little sort of yellowish shades in them. They have this very broad, pale stripe above the eye, and that's one of the best ways to identify them. Um, but you're often more likely to get a good view of those compared to like a, like a grasshopper warbler. And it's worth mentioning here, the East Coast Nature Reserve and along the Wicklow Coast, we are getting increasing numbers of reed warblers as well. So reed warbler does breed here in the, in, in the reed beds. Um, the, the songs of reed, reed warbler and sedge warbler are pretty similar. The best way to try and distinguish them is that the reed warbler, it's sort of, but they're well, they both have fairly scratchy, though somehow still quite melodic and musical songs. But um, the reed warbler stays the same tempo, so it's singing and it's the same sort of rhythm. You can you can almost tap your foot along to it. Whereas the sedge warbler, they speed up and slow down, and that's the easiest way to tell them apart. Um, but but yeah, the, the grasshopper warbler, completely different sound, and um, really doesn't sound like a bird at all. It really is like a little machine. And that's that's of course how these birds are communicating and uh, across the, uh, the these different reed beds. They, they, you know, the appearance doesn't matter so much at all. It's all about the sound. How can they can they can tell each other apart, and how then the females can select the male with the best prospects. 
Excellent, excellent. No, deadly. And yeah, no, another, another species, hopefully, uh, sedgewall that I'm hoping to get uh, at the weekend on my dawn course. Don't know if uh, there is reeds there, but they're, they're more few and far between at the minute, but hopefully they'll spread that way over time. The I'm going to, before we wrap up, I'm going to extend an invitation to the great Niall Hatch to come to Offaly next year for our Dawn Chorus uh, episode. You're on, so yeah, I, I had to drive maybe five minutes this morning and you, you had to go a huge distance, so I will, I will be in Offaly. We'll have a nice Bogland Dawn Chorus. Will you promise me Snipe? I love to hear drumming Snipe in my Dawn Chorus. Definitely can do Snipe, yeah, until the cows come home, we'll do Snipe, <laughs> definitely. And um, yeah, no, that's an easy one. You haven't set the bar very high for Offaly there. Um, yeah, so if they haven't kicked me to the curb in Offaly in the, in the year that's going to pass between there, <laughs> we, we'll do that okay that, that's it's, a, it's a deal Ricky absolutely excellent excellent and um, yeah cool so that's that's a wrap really enjoyed that it's really nice to be out um, in the um in this sort of habitats in nature in East Coast Nature Reserve a Birdwatch's flagship reserve and yeah it's 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 beautiful so you've got a couple of weeks left after this episode goes out to really get the the, the, the dawn course at its at its finest and even course so make an effort to get along to a local dawn course just course walk or whatever or download the Merlin app and, and have a listen for yourself even if you only stray as far as the garden or, or the local sort of uh, woodland or whatever do try sort of drink it in because you'll miss it then you'll miss the opportunity for another year and um, you'll be kicking yourself yeah and, and you know what happens uh, this time each year Birdwatcher and branches across the country run all sorts of free dawn chorus and dust chorus events I would highly recommend going along to those bring, bring friends bring family you know once a year set the alarm clock early get up and go out you'll be glad you did there's something really restorative and refreshing about it you don't have to be a member of Birdwatcher to take part in those dawn chorus events but we'd very much appreciate it if you were uh, so you can find full details of membership at birdwatcherland.ie you can support our work as a conservation charity you can help to make things like this beautiful East Coast Nature Reserve possible uh, and so we really would appreciate that Deadly the In Your Nature podcast is supported by Leash Offaly and Westmead County Councils and the Heritage Council and is edited by Anne-Marie Kelly